The argument of the month is a men's apostolate that teaches and defends the Catholic faith. The argument of the month provides each month an evening of fellowship where, during the course of a fine meal, a forum on significant current issues of faith and culture stand at center. The war of our time is the war against truth. The argument of the month fights for the truth by seeking the truth and bringing the clarity of truth to the Catholic and the non-Catholic alike. It is the hope of this apostolate that, enlightened by the truth and encouraged by fellowship, participants will return to their homes and workplaces better prepared to live more fully their Christian faith, better prepared to fulfill their proper roles in society and in the family, and better prepared to change the world. That is our mission. That is our hope. And that is the Argument of the Month Club. Thank you very much for coming. Hello, my name is Michael Olson. I am uh, tonight's moderator. Um, I'm here to play devil's advocate, uh, so my own views can't be criticized. Um, as moderator this evening, uh, I worked with uh, the AOTM Club uh, to develop tonight's topic, Americanism. What I'd like to do uh, is take an honest show of hands here. Who, honestly, here had heard of the Americanist heresy prior to uh, this evening's event? Thank you. Uh, so we're about uh, 60, 40. 60 have not and 40 have, it looks like to me. Um, one interesting facet about uh, Testum Benevolentiae Nostrae, which is the encyclical letter written by Pope Leo Thirteenth, January 22nd, 1899, uh, that document, that encyclical, cannot even be found on, on the Vatican website. Um, it's quite interesting. I had to go at great lengths to find both the text in original Latin and then a, a, a quality translation of that into English. Uh, maybe one kind of uh, eyebrow razor uh, for us for this evening. Uh, let me give you a little bit of perspective about uh, the Americanist heresies, uh, get us set into the time frame in which Testum Benevolentiae was written, and then I'll let the uh, panel uh, respond to questions I have provided for them. I take the following from a, a Knights of Columbus uh, journalist named uh, Russell Shaw. He writes, Testum Benevolentiae, an apostolic letter addressed by Pope Leo XIII to Cardinal Gibbons of Baltimore, dated January 22, 1899, is the papal document that condemned Americanism. Today, the Americanist impulse reigns supreme in American Catholicism. That is not a bad career record for what has been called a phantom heresy. To be fair, the Americanists of the 19th century, men like Father Isaac Hecker, founder of the Paulists, Orestes Brownson, the convert journalist and social critic who lies buried in the ch chapel crypt at the University of Notre Dame, and Archbishop John Ireland of St. Paul, Minnesota, they had no inkling of what would happen. They dreamed of evangelizing American culture, even as they faced defending their church against the slur that Catholicism could only be an alien force in a democratic, pluralistic society. No wonder the Americanists of those days, the aforementioned, who were confronting anti-Catholic propagandizing, felt impelled to assert the compatibility of their faith and their citizenship. Those forefathers had no way to anticipate the profoundly different problem that Catholics in the U.S. would face a hundred years later. That is, not the exclusion from the surrounding secular culture, but instead 
radical absorption by it, so that the distinctively Catholic character of American Catholicism would be in danger of disappearing altogether. This panel this evening will be addressing uh, Americanism, and uh, the first question I have for the panel to discuss is the letter Testum Benevolentiae, the encyclical by Pope Leo XIII, that was, that was written in 1899, and I'd say 60% of our audience, uh, they don't even know what Americanism as a heresy means or is. Is this heresy real? Is this, is this even uh, something that is uh, of modern concern to us in 2000 and 2012? Uh, to my uh, right uh, is Mr. Michael Matt. He is the editor of the Remnant newspaper, which can be found at a table back there uh, if you have such interest in the Remnant. Um, next to Mr. Michael Matt is uh, Mr. Edward Hester. Uh, Mr. Hester is a teacher of history at Providence Academy in Plymouth. And to Edward's right is Mr. David, sorry, Dr., he's earned his Ph.D., folks, uh, Dr. David Devil from St. Thomas University, editor of the academic journal Logos. So, uh, our panel members, thank you. Uh, is this Americanist heresy relevant today? Uh, we'll just go in order of uh, first at the table. I, I would say, obviously, I'm here, so I believe that it is a very relevant uh, question. And hopefully we'll give it a little life tonight because... Only 40% had heard of, that's actually quite high for a 100-year-old heresy, had heard of it, but every, I think, 100% uh, of you tonight, men in this room, are, are, are painfully aware of the ramifications of this heresy, especially after last Tuesday night. Um, we have lost our Catholic identity in this country, and we are squandering it faster and faster every day. Um, and this, I, I would certainly, it would be myopic to suggest that this one single heresy is solely and 100% to blame. But as American Catholic men, it becomes very important for us if we are ever going to restore our Catholic identity and make the Catholic Church the moral authority that she once was not so long ago, we have to understand how we got to the point of a majority of Catholic Americans voting for one of the most reprehensible political figures in the history of the world. And I don't think that's any exaggeration. I also don't believe that, that Barack Obama is chiefly our problem. I believe we get the leadership that we deserve, and I believe the reason we got Barack Obama is because of the breakdown of the human element of the Catholic Church something which great men, and more specifically great popes like Leo XIII, foresaw over 100 years ago. Despite every effort to try to Catholicize America, as everyone in this room, I think, would agree, needs to happen now, despite every effort that the church uh, enacted to Catholicize this great experiment on the shores of the United States of America, the New World, uh, this, this, this heresy still raised its head and still at that point in time, was obvious to them through this, the research that they were doing and through the signs of the times that they were looking at. So I don't know exactly what Mike, our moderator, has in terms of, of time limit, but if the question is, for the moment is just, is it relevant today? I think it is more relevant today than it has ever been in the 100-plus years of its history as far as being targeted specifically under the title of Americanism. Ditto. No, okay. Um, I feel like I'm sitting at the kids' table at Thanksgiving. Okay. Yeah, this is, I would just have to agree with, with uh, Mike here. This is uh, entirely relevant today, uh, not only for the situation we find ourselves in and the way Catholics are voting, the way Catholics are living, but particularly because 
most of most Catholics today don't realize that they practice this heresy. Um, it's not the kind of heresy like Arianism where you were clearly identified because you said that Jesus wasn't actually God. Um, there are countless numbers of Catholics out there today who practice this heresy of Americanism, which is an accommodation, which is a watering down of the faith because they've been raised in it. Um, it's just the norm. Um, we, we just want to fit in. I mean, there's still that longing among Catholics to fit in, to not look strange. Um, uh, you know, it's okay on Ash Wednesday to have ashes on your head, sort of, but... You know, if I have to go without meat on Friday when I'm out with the guys, get real. So this is a heresy, and you might not think those things are big deals, but I, I think they are. And this is a heresy that many Catholics are practicing, and they're not even aware of it. Um, and so I think that's why it's particularly relevant today. It is like, uh, like cholesterol, the silent killer in the church today. Let me say that I agree that Americanism is a problem today, but I'd like to define it a little bit, because even though Michael cannot be criticized, I have a microphone. <laughs> so let me, let me say one thing, that first of all, I think we need to distinguish Americanism from our own American constitutional ideals. Um, I think that some people get the impression that well, Amer to be an American is itself problematic, and that's one of the things that Archbishop Ireland and Archbishop Gibbons and many of the, the so-called Americanists of the 19th century were faced with. And what they wanted was a dynamic presentation of the Catholic message to people of America and to say that we, we can be just as American as you are, if not more. Now, what was condemned in the Americanist heresy in that famous 1899 letter Testum Benevolentiae. Here are a few of the things that Pope Leo listed. Putting natural virtues above supernatural virtues. Thrift and hard work and honesty, those are all great natural virtues, but of course, they're not more important than faith, hope, and charity. Minimizing Catholic doctrine so that we, can't, we won't be obnoxious to our neighbors. Now, that can be interpreted in a couple of ways. We don't have to stick the Immaculate Conception in everyone's face as they go by or something like that. But it does mean speaking out about distinctive Catholic doctrines. And I'm actually very proud of our bishops and many people during this HHS amendment controversy for teaching what the Catholic Church teaches. Even when many of the people in, in the organizations like the hospitals and universities have said, well, we're not going to do it. There's been a voice again, so I'm pleased by that. Third, uh, a confusion of liberty and license. True liberty is different from being simply able to do anything, and of course we all need to condemn that. But I think there's a couple things in the encyclical, or the pastoral letter as it is, that are, we would say that we do agree with now. One of the things that the 19th century popes and bishops were worried about was lay people taking initiative. So one of the things that was, was worried about was, well, who's speaking to these Protestants? Who's speaking to these other, other people out there? And one of the things that Pope Leo says is perhaps bishops ought to appoint special preachers. Well, I think that would condemn the argument of the month club, wouldn't it? <laughs> the bishop didn't appoint me to preach to anybody or speak to anybody. I think one of the things that was a problem in the 19th century is there needs to be more lay initiative. Um, another thing <clears throat> that uh, we might... Uh, reject from that from that letter uh, is initiative uh, well let's see uh, 
Well, let's just leave it at that. I think I've talked long enough. But I think what, what was there was a fear of lay people taking initiative. And I think that's one thing that I think we need to reject from that letter. Well, that's, that's kind of what I was going to say that, that, that I, I agree to some extent. Remember, when Leo is talking and giving this encyclical, it's incredibly foresightful. Encyclical, he isn't dealing with, with the effects of Americanism 100 years later. So, for example, Christ, Catholics for a Free Choice, I'm sure, David, you would, you would agree that, that giving them a license and a voice would be a, a great mistake. And so, so encouraging lay initiative is, is one thing. But I think the Pope, it's like the father of any family. It, you, you have to be very careful who has access to your children. And that's all he's saying. He's saying, who is speaking to, to, to the Catholic masses? Who is speaking to them? And any father not only has a right, but has a sacred obligation before God to do just that. So, Leo, it's so important. And, Mike, go ahead and throw something at us if we go on a little long. I'm not sure exactly how much back and forth you want. But it's so important to take Leo in context. Leo, we are coming off the, 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 the previous pontificate in which the papal states are lost under, under Garibaldi in Italy. We are coming off a very tense time in which Pope Pius IX becomes a prisoner in the Vatican, for heaven's sakes. The forces of the Enlightenment, of Freemasonry, of secularism, of atheism are amassing themselves throughout the whole world against the papacy. And so Leo XIII is being very cautious, as was Pius IX, in how he phrased these things. And remember, just five years before, in, in, in Jinkwa, the encyclical to the American church, he praises America. He praises Columbus. He celebrates the 400th anniversary of the discovery of America by a Catholic named Christopher Columbus. He praises the initiatives. He points out that the church, far from being with blinders on because the Protestant England had conquered over the Catholic founders of this country, or discoverers of this country, he praises and he works with them. He points out that in 1789, John Carroll had set up, for example, Georgetown University of now Sandra Fluck fame, for Pete's sakes. <laughs> this is a Catholic university. People are forgetting that. And he points out that he himself, 100 years or I mean, 10 years earlier, had set up Catholic University of, of America in Washington, D.C. They had made so many efforts. They set up the, more, the North American College in Rome so that American seminarians could come over and study in Rome. He speaks out against, the, against divorce and some of these things that are happening in America already becoming fashionable. So he makes every effort to love and to console and to encourage America. But then he begins to see, five years later, in Testum Benevolentiae, remember, he didn't write this on his own. This is not a motu proprio. The Testum Benevolentiae is the result of a commission of cardinals and, and experts who had studied what was happening. They had to be very cautious with what they did with America. And he is, is extending every, every compliment that he can to America, but then sensing secularism, atheism sneaking in. Four years later, in France, the eldest daughter of the church, the great separation, law of separation in, in, in 1904, would happen. Leo's seeing this. He's seeing the secularization, the atheization, if that's a word, of not only America, but of the whole world. And he's trying to hold on to America, stick by those things, actually grant the church freedom, which is true religious freedom. Give the church of Christ true freedom. And he, and he explains how the Catholic church had tried to facilitate that. So this encyclical is in no sense a knee-jerk reaction. He's trying to do exactly what all of us in this room are now trying to do in hindsight and retrospect, trying to save the Catholic voice in this country. And he tries. And for, for a long time, he's actually quite successful. His, the pontificates that follow are very, very successful. And it isn't until the 1960s where we again see the Americanist heresy come up, this time in the Catholic Church through Dignitatis Humanae, which probably is another discussion, but a very important discussion. That's the entry of Americanism 
stripped now of its heretical trappings, but the entrance of those ideas into the heart and bosom of the church. Um, I, I would just say, too, that um, if we look at this heresy um, in, in a different historical context, and it, it kind of brings both of you together here, in the church in the 1870s and 80s, um, and, and all the way back to the 1840s even, we're dealing with something called nativism, um, the Know Nothing Party, the American Party, um, a, a virulent anti-Catholicism. And so uh, average Catholics are faced with um, physical threats, uh, being barred from political office, from uh, the, the average jobs even, if you were Catholic, uh, you know, the, the, the famous sign, Irish need not apply, and so on. And it wasn't just because they drank too much. Um, it, it's, and so with that historical context in mind, two things to consider. So maybe Archbishop Ireland and, and others, uh, Archbishop uh, Cardinal Gibbons, were reacting to that and saying, no, we need to just make Catholicism more compatible or rather show that it is compatible um, with um, being an American citizen. But, but here's the problem, and I think this is what Leo XIII saw, that you take a step in the wrong direction and you're going to keep going. And that's, that's perhaps what he saw. Um, it was Ben Franklin who said uh, at the time of the American founding, those who give up a little liberty for security deserve neither liberty nor security. And I think we could apply this to Americanism. Those who give up faith for fellowship deserve neither faith nor fellowship. And that's where we find ourselves today. Um, we've lost our faith. And frankly, now the world has turned on us. The American public in general has turned on us because when we've tried to stand up and say, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, gay marriage. What the heck is that? Uh, people look at the church and say, well, you haven't said boo about fornication for 40 years. Uh, and if it's all up to your conscience, right, because we don't want to we don't want to throw that in their face. If it's all up to your conscience, then how can how can it be wrong if two men want to do that? So there's, there's a, a, a consequence here, a long-term consequence, which it's easy for us to see now. I don't know that, that I could make a judgment about Archbishop of Ireland or Cardinal Gibbons, but there was, there's definitely hindsight now, and we can see where perhaps Leo XIII was seeing prophetically, if you take this step just a little bit off, off the line, uh, you're going to wind up way off track down the road. Um, I teach religion also at Providence, and one of the things I, I stress to freshmen um, who, I don't know, they don't hear much, but freshmen <laughs> in theology is precision of terminology. You know, we can't say there are three people in the Trinity because there aren't. There are three persons. Um, person, nature, these are precise theological and philosophical terms. And I think that's the same thing here. We, we sort of lost our concern about precision, perhaps in action and word, and, and we wound up way over from where we should have been. Okay. I mean, I, it, like I say, I, I do see this as a relevant concern for today, but I, what I want to separate from here is this American ideal of, of religious liberty. And Michael has opened the door to this a little bit in saying that, well, it was because of, of the Second Vatican Council's declaration on religious liberty that things slipped. But American Catholics valued religious liberty without thinking that 
that that meant that anything goes. And I don't think that those men of the 19th century did think that anything goes. They wanted a, an argument with people. They wanted to be able to freely and openly talk to people and argue about the truth. Um, John Courtney Murray, who, who Michael probably hates, um, you don't have to follow him with everything, but what he understood about the American experiment was that it was predicated upon a pretty big level of Christian background. Uh, the great history of the West and of Christianity was there, and in order to make it work, there had to be a religious people. And what Murray saw as a great thing was that Americans in their, their situation were able to be free. And as long as they did that, and they argued for their own faith, and they were they were strong about it, they did keep their liberty and they did keep their faith. What happened was not... Uh, uh, what happened was not that, that things went awry because there was religious liberty, but what I'd like to say is that perhaps it was a European heresy that crept in. That It wasn't American religious liberty, but it was the notion of the state, and that there had to be a filling of a void because Americans started to lose their faith, and more people wanted to put the state in place, and they wanted to have an anti-Christian religion. And that is what we see today now. It's this Christophobia, and it's not just in America but it was in Europe first, and now it's coming here. So, Okay, so let's talk politics for a few minutes then. So um, let's go political. So Father Hecker then, uh, for those historians in the crowd here, he might be the true figure that Pope Leo XIII is responding to, though his encyclical is addressed to uh, Archbishop Gibbons. It's perhaps Hecker's uh, uh, following in France, post-revolutionary France, that maybe uh, Pope Leo XIII is so very concerned about here in 1899. Now, I, I, I want to read you a, a quote, uh, and then I'll, I'll date it for you. Uh, so the quote goes like this. We shall find even Catholics who gravely tell us that their religion has nothing to do with their politics. That is, their politics are independent of their religion. That is, again... Politics are independent of God, and there is no God in the political order, as if a man could be an atheist in the state and a devout Catholic in the church. Unquote. This is from one of Hecker's uh, contemporaries and uh, contrarians named Orestes Brownson, and maybe you're aware of, 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 of that name. Uh, but the idea that uh, as if a man could be an atheist in the state politically, but a devout Catholic in the church. Um, don't we see these things in the 1960s with JFK responding to his critics in the Protestant realm and, and, uh, and others? Um, I mean, we see Biden and Ryan uh, uh, up in front of us, uh, 30 million people. They're, they're debating as, as Catholics, essentially. Uh, each of them are kind of divesting themselves of that aspect, uh, according to the political uh, climate. Can a man be an atheist in the state and a devout Catholic in the church? Is that what the Americanist heresy is really about? Uh, American defining that, yes, you can be an atheist and a politician. Uh, as a matter of fact, we ask you to be and leave your Catholicism at the door. Uh, can you respond to some political aspects of this Americanist heresy? Yeah, I, th I think that, that Joe Biden got a bum rap, and I can't stand the man. But, but in a sense, that's the quintessential American politician. He can't force his religion on anyone else. We, we've already agreed to that. We made a Faustian bargain as Catholics not to let popery, not to let the church or the priests influence, influence us uh, as, as politicians. And so Biden says, yes, I'm pro-life. I'm passionately pro-life. That's what my church tells me I have to be, but not politically. 
And St. Thomas More says that man that forsakes his conscience for the sake of his duties as, as a state leads his country on a, on a short route to chaos. And that's where we're going. But to a large degree, that is what we accepted as Catholic Americans to say we will not. We will be patriots. We will be Americans first. We will be Catholics second. Going to church is something we will do on Sunday. And we will respect all those who do not go to church and those who do not recognize Christ as a Savior or Christ as King. That's the deal that we've made. And so it's very true that with, with respect to other religions, we have lost this. This is what Arrestus Bronson is concerned about, that we have so lost our Catholic identity, we're no longer 11 in society. And that's the truth. It's a very painful thing for us to admit, guys, that it is a defined dogma of the Catholic Church, extra ecclesia nulla salus. Now, I'm not telling you what to believe about that, but as Catholic men, we better look real hard at that. That's a defined doctrine of the Church, Outside of the church, there is no salvation. If we believe that, then we have a sacred obligation before God to convert our brothers. But again, we have accepted a position whereby that's the very last thing we will do. We are going to go along to have for the good of the common good in the, in the state of America in order so that we can all get along and the common good is served. Now again, I'm not telling you what you need to think or believe, but as Catholic men, you need to ask yourself that question. Do you still believe that outside the Catholic Church there is no salvation. And this is what Hecker and, and, and Russus Bronston were debating. We're having the same debate tonight. It's exactly the same. We're walking in their shoes, in their footsteps, and it needs to be solved. <laughs> I, don't, uh, yeah, I, don't, I don't have anything to disagree with there. I think we'd all need to do this, but... Again, this is a bargain that we've all made. It's not something that we're obligated to do. I, I don't think Joe Biden, though, in his debate, refused to be a Catholic. He refused to be a Catholic where it counted. But he said he wanted his version of Catholic social teaching to reign, which is basically a heavily statist version of, you know, of a welfare economy. So people are not afraid to push things when, they're, when you know, they think that the crowd will agree with them. But they are afraid when, when the going gets tough on doctrines like abortion and, you know, God help us, birth control. But these are things that we need to decide for ourselves. So I agree with, with Michael's, uh, you know, altar call here. Let's all talk to our neighbors. Let's, be, let's pray. One of the things that, that I didn't bring up about, about that letter test in Benevolentiae is that he says that one of the problems in America, and I do think that this is a problem, and it's a problem even among Catholics like us, is that too often we put active virtues above so-called passive virtues. In other words, you know, being active politically and being active in the church is put before our prayer life. And one of the things that we need to do if we're going to form a Christian culture is we've got to realize that, let me put it in the words of Christopher Dawson, the great Catholic historian. He said this in 1959, shortly before JFK uh, made his speech. He said, in order to recover a Christian culture, we need to, to realize three things. One, our primary loyalty is to our religion and not to the state or our family or any other group. Two, learning and law are primarily sacred learning and law. Canon law is more important. The teaching of the church is more important than any secular teaching. And we need to learn that first and make everything revolve around that. And finally, Worship is the primary act in which we form culture, right? So going to mass, praying with our families, tending a holy hour, all of that stuff 
is really what, what our main goal needs to be. And we want to form that, that culture, but there, there's no contradiction between that and being an American, at least not from our side. But like Thomas More, we might you know, lose our head over it. Do you guys clap before you throw things? Because <laughs> I'm going to give the mic back to him if you do. All right. Um, I, I agree with what you're saying, uh, uh, David. Um, and, and, and if I get it right, the, the, the gist of it is that transforming the culture uh, begins right here. It's an individual transformation first, which is then, you know, kind of lights the fire uh, through our communities, our families, our communities, and, and the larger populace. Unfortunately, um, we, have, we have this problem. Um, how do I, as a, as a Catholic living in this culture, how do I inform my faith and how do I, how do I live it uh, faithfully when I see guys like Joe Biden? and Nancy Pelosi, and others up there in the spotlight, and they're telling me, hey, it's okay. It's okay. I, I mean, as a Catholic, I don't agree with it, but, you know, the, the problem is they're, they're giving scandal. And unfortunately, for, I don't know, 50 years, just random date I pulled out of my head, 50 years or so, the church in the United States, and perhaps around the world, hasn't done anything to really uh, address that scandal. And, and that's where, the, the again, this heresy of Americanism comes in. We have an entire population, oh, maybe 50% or so, who are living this daily. Uh, can you imagine living as an Aryan? You know, thinking your whole life, Jesus isn't really God. Um, and still going to Mass, and still receiving communion. And what does that all mean? What is that? So here we are as American Catholics, and we're saying, I'm Catholic, um, but I don't really believe that contraception is a sin because, I mean, nobody says anything about it. And, and that's the problem when we've got guys like Joe Biden and others in the political arena. Look, I don't base my vote on what some politician says or my, my, my conscience or my faith on what some politician says. But there are so many who do. And that's the problem with Americanism. It's that silent, that silent killer. If I could just add to that, one of the other things that, that Leo said was that was the heresy, and whether it happened then, it does happen now, is that people claim that, well, just as in America I am free to have my own opinion about things, so in the church too I am to have liberty of conscience. And of course we need to reject that. I mean, and we can reject that from an American standpoint. You know, you're not forced to be a Catholic. You know, if you, if you were baptized, if you want to leave the church, you go ahead. But when you join an association that believes X and then say, oh, no, but I believe Y, then A, you should probably think about whether you belong here. The other flip side of the question is, you know, and I don't want to beat up on bishops, but bishops have the tools at their disposal to deal with people who are public nuisances, and they need to use them. But so often, you know, all these canons don't get used. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And, and yet, I think that if, if, I don't know what you're thinking about a historical, going in any kind of historical direction with this, but I want to get past the sort of, um, you know, rah, rah, we need to do the right thing, because I think we all agree with that. Right now, we are, we, we're facing four years of who knows what. This, this meeting itself could become illegal before the next four years are, are up. And we all know this. 
Um, but the problem is, again, trying to get back to basics, uh, I think we need to look at the history a little bit because the reason American Catholics are the way they are is because that's inherent in what America is. And I'm as patriotic as anyone in this room. Any of you men that served in Vietnam, World War II, I salute you. I thank you. There's no question of that. My own father served in World War II as a decorated soldier in World War II. I grew up in a very patriotic house. I want to establish that. I have no intention of leaving this country. I love this country. However, however, we do have to face some difficult facts. The father of our own Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson, took the Bible and excised from it any references to the divinity of Christ. He rejected the Trinity. He rejected popery. His Bible is stripped down. It's called the Jefferson Bible. I don't want to go into it now because we don't have time. Google it when you get home, the Jefferson Bible. Taking the divinity of Christ away, taking the, 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 the discipleship of the apostles away as successors and the bishops, successors of, of the apostles. That Bible was given to every incoming freshman senator and congressman going into D.C. until the late 1950s. This man from the beginning, and again, this is difficult for us as Americans to face, but the reality is from the beginning, our country that we love and that we will die defending was founded on a rejection of the kingship of Christ. That's just the history. That is not my opinion. That is not a conspiracy theory. And so now when we have people, we have, we, we, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not giving up on this country. But what I'm saying is we have to do precisely what Leo and the great popes tried to do. Catholicize it. Take it back. This land was, was founded by our Catholic forefathers, the French, the Portuguese, the Spanish, they came here and they planted crucifixes all up and down our coastline from Canada to, south, to, the, to the South Americas. It's ours. And we need to take it back. Our Lady of Guadalupe came here and claimed this land from the serpent as her own and that of her sons. But in 1776, the principles of the Enlightenment found their way into our country. We still love our country. Patriotism is a very important and vital virtue. We love our country. does not mean we love the government, as we're all finding out right now, and does not mean that we absolve everything that went on even back at the start with a man like Jefferson who had a real problem with the divinity of Christ. So when we have Catholics now who are picking and choosing what they want in the Catholic Church to adhere to, there shouldn't be a lot of surprise. That's how it started from the beginning. At the start of things, we have... Um Basically, a, uh, a, a Puritan, a Protestant, even a Masonic um, set of um, principles um, and an atmosphere through which the Declaration, Articles of Confederation, the Constitution were written. But yet among those, we have Catholics. Uh, uh, Charles Carroll, for, for one. Um, we, we have Catholics working hand-in-hand -hand with, you mentioned Ben Franklin. We have uh, John Carroll and Ben Franklin and two others going to Canada. Uh, during the Revolutionary War, appealing to, to France, mother Catholic country in many ways, uh, to provide them provisions to defeat the English. Uh, we, we have Catholics uh, mixed up in politics, and, but yet in 1750, 1760, uh, there were laws on the book in, books in New York and in Georgia and many other colonies that were clearly anti-Catholic laws, not allowing you to practice law, for instance, or to have a vote in that colony, for instance. So that's the atmosphere in which a John Carroll, uh, the founder of Georgetown, whom you uh, referenced already, Mr. Matt, that's the atmosphere that these Catholics were enduring while trying to yet be, be Catholics. So we have that atmosphere. Uh, I think Georgetown University is the only university, by the way, that has uh, a presidential seal. 
used as their seal for universe. The reason is because uh, John Carroll supported George Washington to become the first general, the Revolutionary Army. And uh, Washington, upon his victory, was so excited about Carroll's support, he helped endow Georgetown uh, as the first Catholic uh, university in the U.S. My, my point is this. Isn't the real issue with Americanism um, that perhaps uh, Carroll, John Carroll, took it too far? Uh, laid down his Catholicism at the doorstep uh, on on the altar of, of of gaining a foothold in this country to give Catholics of the 1810s, 20s, 30s, 60s a real voice. But now that we have that voice in 1860, 1890, 1920, 1940, World War II, have we dropped the ball? I mean, isn't that the question? Are, are we not being absorbed? The question isn't being excluded from the government at this point. It's being absorbed by it. Um, so uh, I guess what I want to speak to next is this. Are there some nascent, actual, real, intrinsic incompatibilities between the Catholic faith and American values? Uh, the Constitution. I mean, the, the, the First Amendment. Uh, the ability to uh, you know, practice your own religion without having the government found a religion to which you must adhere. Is there anything fundamentally incompatible with, say, First Amendment? And... Our Catholic faith. Well, um, on that issue, I would, I would just say no, and uh, mainly because, uh, and not not because I disagree with with Mr. Matt here. Um, I, I think uh, that as a country, there were some um, definite theological, philosophical, spiritual anomalies at our founding. Um, uh, the influence of Enlightenment philosophy and, and masonry uh, among them, chief among them. However, um, we find ourselves in a country, once it's founded, where essentially we have the liberty to practice our Catholic faith if we choose to. Um, and at the time, what other country in the world could you claim that? Now, you might have said France until the Revolution. Um, you might have said Spain, but and no offense to Spanish people, but really it's Spain. Um, <laughs> Canada, Canada, um, during the revolution, that's kind of interesting you brought that up. We sent a delegation with Charles Carroll and his, uh, was his brother or his cousin up to Canada with Ben Franklin and a few others after we tried to invade them. Something about that maple syrup was a loop luring. Um, you know, we have this country where we are able to live our Catholic faith. We are able to preach it to others if we so choose. Um, so I don't think there's anything fundamentally at odds with Catholicism. It's, it's how you live it and, more importantly, how you live it in the public square. And for a long time after the revolution, after the founding of this country, it was difficult, if not impossible, for Catholics to live it in the public square. Uh, the nativist movement grew and grew on, uh, into the 1840s and 50s until one state actually uh, went to the American party, Maryland, founded by Catholics, went to the anti-Catholic party for electoral votes. Um, and uh, beyond that, uh, any newspaper in the country was publishing the cartoons of Thomas Nast, you know, as anti-Catholic as you can get. Um, all right, he gave us Santa Claus, but, uh, you know, anti-Catholic through and through. So it was very difficult to get into the public square. The problem has been all along 
this desire to fit in and get into the public square, unfortunately, has meant some people, for some people, we got to drop this, we got to drop that, we've got to give up that other thing and, and sort of strip down our Catholicism uh, until we fit through the door. And uh, now we're faced with, we don't have those things anymore. Where are they? Where's our Catholic identity? You know, um, I was asked recently, I was at an interview for uh, an education program. I won't say at what university here in the Twin Cities, but um, uh, an education program for teachers and so on. And they asked me, one of the interviewers asked me, were you surprised that the marriage amendment failed? And I said, no, I was not. Um, uh, my reasons, because the church in Minnesota and in the United States in general has lost credibility. You can't keep your head buried in the sand for 50 years and then pop up one day and say, hey, we're against that. And that's why they buried their hand, head in the sand in the first place, was to fit in. And I think that's, that's where the incompatibility comes. We can live our faith as Catholics in this country freely if we choose. Gathering like this, freely if we choose. But some, so many don't choose because it sets them apart. Let me add to that. I agree with him. And I, again, I think it comes back to the choice of how we're going to live. But I don't think that saying, well, it was all in Jefferson's Bible and that sort of thing. What in the Constitution prevented us from living the way we wanted? Certainly in some of the states which had established religions, we were prevented from serving in public office. But what people experienced in America was something that was new in the world, even as Catholics. John Carroll didn't just go for maple syrup in Canada. He was the first bishop in the United States. And one of the things that he did was, when he realized that his, his flock was growing, he needed some bishops. And so what did he do? He sent a letter to the Congress saying, here is our list of potential bishops. Do you have any you wish to strike? Now, why would he do that? Because in ostensibly Catholic countries, the powers that be, the Christian kings, the Christian monarchs, could strike from the list people who were to be bishops that they didn't like. Now, the response that Carol got was, what are you asking us for? It's your church. This was something new in the world, and it presented a great opportunity. So to lay our problems at the feet of the American experiment, I think, is misguided. We can lay them at our own feet. We can lay them at our own, our own brethren's feet. But why lay them at, at the foot of a great experiment that may not ex succeed, but hey, what, what human experiment in government ever has? Well, you just, you, I, I don't necessarily disagree. I think it would be myopic to, to just solely do that. But you have to recognize the revolutionary character of the founding of our country. There had, I mean, you have to define what a nation even is before you start. A nation is a community of people who have the same culture, who have the same language, who have the same religion mostly. Uh, that's, the way, that's the way it is. That's the way it always has been. We tried something different here. Um, and that's why, for such a long time, the Catholic Church tried to say, hey, everything's falling apart all around us because of the Enlightenment, because of the fact that the Catholic kings of Europe had lost most of their heads by that point. And so they try to work with the American experiment to see if it's for real. But the problem is you have to think in terms of centuries, not in terms of years. And that's what they knew. These people have been at war against Christ's cross and against his church for 500 years. And they were very patient. And so when we set up our country without establishing or acknowledging any religion, this was revolution. 
The only church that ever claimed to be the true church was the Catholic Church. And in language that sounds very appealing to us now, in hindsight, that simply no religion would be recognized, we had, in, they had, in essence, ruled out the Catholic Church. They had said, we don't need Christ the King. We don't need Holy Mother Church. We don't need Rome or the Popes or Peter or the Mass. They didn't say it in so many words, but that's what it was. At first, it was toleration. But the message got through loud and clear to the American people. All religions are tolerated here. That's wonderful. Look how well it works. Who lost once Catholics began to say that's a good and beautiful thing? That all religions, when error was afforded rights, that's what happened. Error and evil was given the same status as the Catholic Church of Christ. And the people got the message. The Catholic Church didn't run around beating up non-Catholics in their countries, by the way. The Catholic Church always had freedom for people of other faiths to exist. Don't believe the BS about the Inquisition wiping out anybody that disagreed. That's revisionist history. It's nonsense. The Catholic Church allowed for that. But the difference, very quickly, and I'll pass the microphone, the difference in that form of freedom of religion is as follows. It might be a good thing for a woman who's being abused by her husband, to stay in the relationship for the sake of the children, right? But it's a very different thing to say the husband has the right to beat the children or beat the wife. You see the difference there. The church might say a husband should be tolerated. A priest might say stay with your husband, even though he's abusive, for the sake of the children. And that's how it was with other false religions. For the common good, they can stay. They can't hang shingles out. They can't advertise. They can't bring Catholics in so that they will lose the faith. The purpose of the state is not for economic gain. The purpose ultimately of the state is the salvation of the souls of the people. This is what the Catholic Church always knew. This is what every Catholic confessional state was always about. And then we had this experiment in which a vast revolution happened. The state was no longer involved in the souls of its citizens. And we got the message, and we just put Barack Obama in now because we got the message loud and clear. The Catholic Church is down here. America, the state, is up here. Um, if, that, if that's the case, and, and, and I don't disagree that it is, where does that put us now? Um, we can't go back to a confessional state here in this country. Um, it was never founded like that for whatever reasons. Um, and um, I don't recall the church at the time of the American Revolution, you know, indicating that the, the, the enormous error of the founding, although I might have missed that, I might, I might be wrong on that point, um, where what is what does that do for us now here in the United States? Because if the the issue of the of the heresy of Americanism um, is is for here and now ultimately, I mean understanding understanding where it came from is great, and uh, you know how we got here, yes, absolutely. Um, but we can't have a confessional state state now. So now what? And I think that's where that's where understanding how the church in America 
um, went perhaps in some ways, not in every way. There's certainly many great prelates and many priests and, and, and laity in America. I mean, today we're celebrating, for instance, the, the feast of St. Francis Xavier Cabrini, first American citizen to be canonized. Um, we have a whole lot of uh, other saints as well in the church in America. What, what do we do today here in the United States? Understanding that some of our bishops and, and laity and priests, Father Hecker and Orestes Brownson, perhaps went over, you know, over the line and off the side of the road. Where does that put us today? Because we can't, we, we just can't go back to a confessional state. David and Michael want to respond to confessional state. Yeah, I don't want one. I mean, look, I, I'm sorry, but I, I don't agree with Michael on this at all. I think that this hankering after the Christian king or the Christian state is the wrong idea. Because like I said, the way it always works out is that the king always gets to play, you know, call the tune for you. And while theoretically it's nice to say the state is about saving souls, I, you know, I'm a little bit af afraid of that idea of the state coming to save my soul. Right, Jesus saves my soul through his ministers in the church, not through a government office. I'm willing to take the risk that we might be persecuted rather than trying to, you know, trying to reclaim some sort of Catholic state that will then tell, you know, Protestants and Jehovah's Witnesses and whoever that they're not allowed to talk because they somehow they are in error and error has no rights. Well, they're persons and persons have rights. Maybe error doesn't have rights, but quite frankly, I'm confident enough that the Catholic faith is true, and I think that when we explain what's in it and we live that life, that they will be converted. Now, again, they might cut our heads off first, but that's the way to go, is bearing witness to the truth and giving an answer, because I'm not afraid if they say something wrong, because I can say it back. You look at my Facebook page, you'll know this. I'll say something back to you, right? Um, I'm not afraid of this, and I don't want a Catholic state. And I, like he says, where are we now? Well, we're in a position where we are starting to see a little bit of persecution, and we're going to have to start make, making some tough choices about whether we're going to stand for our rights in certain areas, particularly in the healthcare industry, in education. And we're going to have to make some tough choices about what we're going to do with our families and how we're going to live. But I don't think it's useful to start talking about a Catholic confessional state since it's not on the radar. And quite frankly, I don't think it's ever been desirable, frankly. Before I let Michael rebuff here, um, for those who want to explore more about this issue, this is an, an age-old issue, uh, 16th century, actually, the Cisalpine versus the Montanists. Uh, so if you want to Google that uh, when you get home, Cisalpine uh, versus Montanists, you'll see, uh, yeah, thank you, you'll, you'll see that same idea uh, at play throughout history. But Michael, uh, confessional state? Yeah, yeah, David, um, I love you like a brother, man, but what you just said absolutely makes my point. In other words, you're saying, I don't want the glories of Christendom. I don't want Catholic confessional states. I'm not saying it's practical right now, David, for us to work for that. But when we say as Catholic men, we don't want that? We reject Christendom? What chance do we have? We don't want a confessional state? Muslims want a confessional state, and they're going to kick our butts if we don't finally realize we, too, want a Christian confessional state, to whatever extent that's possible to manage. The homosexuals want a confessional state. Everyone wants a confessional state except for us. Why is that? We are Christians. We're Catholics. We dominated Europe. We dominated the world. And now, after a few hundred, a few decades of, of putzing around, we've decided it's utterly unthinkable that we should have a Christian state. 
We can never, ever give up hope for the Christian confessional state. The wheels are coming off this one. We saw that last Tuesday. It's over. What's going to take the place? It's when men get together and say, we want Christian confessional states. We've got 400 heads of families in this room. There are 800 to 1,000 families involved with the argument of the month in little old Podunk Center, St. Paul, Minnesota. In every country, every city in this country, there are probably another 1,000 families. If we stand up and say, we want to be followers of Christ, we want our state to be a Christian confessional state, to whatever extent it's possible, we will win. The Tea Party folks are doing it. They're out there saying, we're going to change this whole system because it's wrecked. Why can't we do the same thing? Just like Hungary did. Is anyone following the Hungarian constitution? For heaven's sakes, in a former Soviet bloc country, they stood up and said, St. Stephen is on our masthead. Christianity is ours. Hungary is a Christian country from now on. They went against the the gay marriage. It's illegal in Hungary. They have declared a pro-life amendment. Abortion is going to be illegal in Hungary. And they said, we are a Christian country. The EU is in a tizzy. The New York Times is going nuts. Everyone is crazy. They can't handle this. The BBC is in an apoplexy. But it's working. Somebody had the cojones to stand up and do it. We can do it, too. The Cristeros did it. The Vandeans did it. So can we. Two, I think two points need to be made here, two perhaps clarifications. First of all, um, the reign of Christ on earth, Christendom, as it, as it was known uh, long ago, um, is possible, I think, without the confessional state. And uh, that means that for each one of us living the reign of Christ here on earth in our families and uh, at work among our friends and, and uh, coworkers, and also holding our politicians accountable. Um, they don't have to be Catholic. They don't even have to be Christian. But uh, you're not going to vote for gay marriage and get my vote next election. And you can do that. So you, you, we have to distinguish confessional state and Christendom. I think the reign of Christ on earth is possible without the confessional state. And, and the second point of clarification, Christ didn't dominate anyone. Christ said, come follow me. He didn't say to St. Matthew, get your ass off that chair and get over here. He said, come follow me. And Matthew chose to follow him. And we have to choose to follow him. I, I, I yearn for many of the things that, that Michael's talking about here, this you know, Christian state. Yes, absolutely. Um, a place where my, my values and general Christian values are shared uh, by the populace as a whole. But I don't think that... Um, enforcing that in some way, and, and, and I know you weren't saying enforcing it, but um, relegating non-Christians to a sort of you know second-class status to me doesn't seem the way to go. I think converting uh, uh, fellow members of society to the Catholic faith is where we need to go. And this was one of the chief problems of Americanism, was that the American church was not evangelizing their Protestant neighbors. Uh, you just have to, I'll just, little straw poll here. How many of you have kids in Catholic school today? Have any of them come home and talked about the need to convert their Protestant classmates? No. 
Why? Because we don't teach that. We don't talk that way anymore. It's not even your Protestant neighbor. It's their Protestant classmate. We have a job to do, and it is to set the world ablaze, to convert the world. This is the new evangelization. And granted, some things are changing that are going to help us to do that better, I, I think. But um, I don't know that that's going to happen in the political realm. I think that has to happen in, in everyday life. Look at the, the movement um, of uh, Opus Dei. That is, that's not a movement that, that called for Christian states. Um, and it's been a hugely successful movement evangelizing in the workplace and uh, helping people to uh, live their Catholic faith and not be afraid to live their Catholic faith. Yeah. I, I think Ed's point is a good one. And I think it, it's interesting. Is, is Hungary's uh, state, is it officially a Catholic state that suppresses? Christian. It's Christian. Yeah, okay. Well, that, yeah, well that, that, that's what I thought. But that's a different thing from a Catholic confessional state where we you know, put, our, put our Protestant neighbors or these other people... Uh, down, and I think we can argue even within our own country on the basis of Christian values. That's not something that's not allowed. You know, often we're afraid to make arguments. I just I gotta interrupt. We can't become water carriers for the greatest enemies that the church has ever had. The Catholic countries did not put their Protestant brethren down. They did not put the Jews down. You know this from history. There were, you know why there are ghettos in, 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 even to this day for the Jews? Because pious, the, the, the great popes tolerated them and allowed them. They did not kill them. We can't, we have to understand the revision is the level of the revisionist history that we're all up against. And to suggest that, it, I, first of all, I agree. I'm not saying it has to be a, I'm saying a Christian confessional state is something we should strive for. The Hungarian man that said the president of Hungary is a Christian. He's not a Catholic. I'm not being... Uh, unreasonable about this, but the idea of rejecting it or suggesting that if it were a Catholic confessional state, such as Garcia Moreno set up in Ecuador, that that would mean all of our Protestant brethren are going to be hanging from the telegraph poles is a great injustice to Christendom. That's, That's not, not what you said before. That's not how Christendom acted or, or, or worked or operated. I just think we have Let to Let me ask that this point. question. One, one of the seven um, aspects of Leo XIII's encyclical um, dealt with democracy as a notion. Uh, he, Leo XIII was very nervous that uh, American Catholics would, and Mr. Devil uh, pointed this out, that American Catholics would start to uh, choose to, to simply vote democratically on, on what of the Catholic faith made sense for them as Americans in this country in a pioneer world. And that was, if you read the, the encyclical, that's one of his seven aspects He's nervous about this, uh, hence the word Americanism, the first time a country's been associated with the heresy in 500 years prior. Um, so this idea that democracy rules is a great fear for Leo Thirteenth. Now, Michael, to your point, so in America today, and to Ed's point as well, for America today, are we then, would you allow, Mr. Matt, uh, America, American Catholics to vote on whether or not um, who gets a say in, in the political sphere? under a Catholic confessional state. I mean, how does democracy in a, confessional, a Catholic confessional state work in 2012? Here's the thing, Mike. That's a great question. And we have to distinguish between what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. I am not saying that tomorrow we start the movement for the establishment of confessional state in America. God, it would be great, but that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that when we as Catholic men reject the very notion of a Catholic state, we have become water carriers for the other side. I'm not saying it's practical to try it right now, but what did our Lord say? What does he say to his, his apostles? Talk about impractical and ridiculously absurd. Go out, you little 12 guys, 
and convert all what? People? No, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. This is what our Lord said. That's his mandate. Not go out and be nice and charitable and vote right, but go out and convert all nations. So all I'm saying but doesn't, is, But doesn't this country allow us to do that in the to, First Amendment? To do what? To go out and baptize our neighbors. Well, sure, sure it does. But in other words, what we have to strive for now is this is beginning to fall apart. And we all agree. This system is beginning to really fall apart. We have to have our minds ahead, just like the enemy's minds are all way ahead. What are we going to do? And I think we take a, a page out of the book of what happened in, in Hungary, what happened in Brazil, what happened in Nicaragua. And Daniel Ortega, for Pete's sakes, reconciles himself with the church. He comes out and basically declares Nicaragua a Christian confessional state, outlaws abortion and gay marriage. This is just a few years ago. We have to look at these models and say in Malta, we have the, the ability to work for a Catholic confessional state in Malta. There's all sorts of countries that still have enough residual Catholicism and Christianity that we can work toward that. In our own country, to answer Ed's point, we simply proclaim the kingship of Christ. We don't have to have the confessional state. We should want it, but if it can't happen, we proclaim the kingship of Christ exactly as Pius XI ordered the entire church to do. And if 51% of us in, in Minnesota voted for the amendment, that would have been passed too. The problem is, um, right? It's not. So, so the problem, Michael, is what we have to do is reestablish our Catholic identity by striving and appreciating the great things of Christendom, and trying wherever we can to to to, to mimic them. I know there's a lot of guys. I grew up. We all took this stuff with our mother's milk. We hate cat. We hate the very idea of kings. What in blessed blazes are we talking about? We hate the notion of a king. When you think about the accomplishments to culture, to architecture, to poetry, to, to civilization that the great Catholic kings, all the way up to Emperor Karl in 1920s in Austria-Hungary, what the contribution they made, we reject them out of hand because we are such perfect patriots in America. There's something wrong there. Do I saying we should establish a king here in America? No. But we need to reorient our Catholic minds to how the state should be and get it as close as we can in our daily lives. Uh, David, uh, Edward, or Michael, any other final ideas before our, our studio audience has a chance to ask you guys some questions? Yeah, I want Christianity. I want even Catholic values to penetrate all parts of society. But we've got to go in this direction from the ground up in order to build such a thing and figure out how we can live in a society where we affirm those values and where we enforce things according to natural law boundaries at least. But I, the reason why I don't like confessional states is, I guess, maybe twofold. Let me put it this way. Nicaragua and Hungary may be Christian confessional states. Do they have higher levels of religious practice than there are here in America? I don't think they do. America has one of the highest levels of religious practice everywhere, even under, even under this, this tyranny that we're living under. The other thing is, is that throughout history, every time, you know, it's great that we baptize all nations, but making a, a nation officially Christian does not necessarily mean that those souls were saved, because even baptized people we know can go to hell. And I'm not sure that it's, it's any better on any strict rule, whether you live in a Christian society or whether you live under the tyranny of the Roman Empire or live here. And in fact, I like it here. So on my way to grab some cake, I had a couple of gentlemen stop and ask me for uh, a definition of a confessional state. There are, there's a philosophical definition, there's a historical definition, there's a political definition. 
Um, uh, would each of you please, uh, in your own words, or at least one of you, define what you mean by confessional state before we proceed with the rest of the uh, cards I've, I've had here in my hand? A confessional state can take several different manifestations. I mean, we can have a Catholic confessional state in which the, the social teaching of the church is implemented in, uh, through the laws. Uh, I think what we're talking about when we say a Christian confessional state is a state that is acknowledged, that, that acknowledges uh, the Gospels, and not only the Gospels, but natural law, and implements uh, and is very, very true and faithful to the Gospels in all of its laws. And if you, that's why if you had a Christian, as you have in Hungary, you have a Christian confessional state, it isn't a matter of being Adolf Hitler or Stalin. It's a matter of uh, ingraining in the people Christianity the, 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 the ethics, if you will, or the moral teachings of Scripture so that they will comply much more readily with the state, which is what we had in, uh, in Christendom uh, for, for thousands of years. So, so, so again, a Christian confessional state is, is, not, is not a fascism, is not a tyranny. It's an agreement among the people under the leadership of their government that Christ is king, that, Christ, that, 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 that the, the, the leadership acknowledges his kingship, that the leadership acknowledges where authority comes from. It comes from God. It always and forever must come from God. And again, there's just, we just have to face it. In our country, we speak most often of what? The authority coming from the ground up, from the people. This is a very revolutionary idea, and I think the experiment is beginning to show itself that it, that it, that it won't work. And I think as we're seeing in various countries in Europe and South America, the idea of going back to the Gospels, doing exactly what Pius XI said, proclaim the kingship of Christ, not in a pious devotion sense, but in the government, is what has to happen. And his, that's why we have the word Christeros. Christeros means those who are, fought, who are proclaiming the kingship of Christ. The Christeros, if you saw the movie For Greater Glory, they are answering directly the encyclical of Pope Pius XI, and they put it into action. So that would be my definition, quickly, of a uh, confessional state. Edward or David, any uh, nuances on the confessional state definition? No. Okay, uh, we have a, a, a speaker here that uh, Paul is getting set up. I'll go to one of the cards here from our audience. Uh, to Michael Matt, the American experiment provides and keeps the hope and future of Catholicism much better than the confessional state, which, say, was once Mexico. Don't you see the wisdom of Jefferson? Aren't American Catholics much better off than, say, Mexican Catholics because of Jefferson? You, you would have to, you have to put a certain historical fabric to that. I mean, it, it would certainly seem like it could be at the time, which is why you have support for the American experiment by great popes like Leo XIII, because this was brand new, as David said. Very true. This is this has never been happened, had never happened before. Uh, a country that's found without the shackles or without the history of the cultural history of Catholicism, of Christianity, of kings or anything else. So, so there is this great experiment that happens. But the problem is, and this is why this this discussion is so relevant tonight, and I thank and I salute Kent Worktel for, for having brought it up, because we don't even realize to what extent we've been, we've been absorbed by the Americanist heresy. And so, yes, it did seem like it was pretty good for a time, but look what we're facing in the next four years. Look what's happening to our bishops, to our priests, to our churches. Father Eckert uh, saying mass here and, and, giving Father, and Father Graebner giving some of the sermons that they are against gay marriage. How long do you think that's going to last? And this is what they knew what was going to happen ultimately, if you want to put a conspiratorial spin on it. All you had to do was control the majority, and you controlled the church. So we can vote until we're blue in the face in this country, as was demonstrated last Tuesday. The problem is they control the, the vast mass 
brainwashing laboratories called the public school system. So long as they're in charge of that system, you and I don't have a chance, a snowball's chance in hell of changing anything through the vote. Now, briefly, briefly, in Catholic countries, this is not the case. Even in Catholic France, which I go to every single year, and I see this in the Catholic people, their roots, their soil is Catholic. There's something to go back to. And so, in a sense, I do have great hope for for some of the Catholic countries, and and we're seeing it already, a resurgence of Catholicism in these countries. I march a pilgrimage from Paris to Chartres every spring on Pentecost, a three-day, two-night walking pilgrimage. Do you know during the whole period of that walk with 15 thousand Catholics, we never hear the Marseillaise once. Not once do we hear the French national anthem. 15,000 Frenchmen. Because they don't support 1789. They know that was an attack by the Enlightenment forces against their king and against their church. Many of them don't even vote, although there's a disagreement on that because they want to change the system too. Edward, do you want to respond to this? Or David either? Uh, I mean, um, aren't American Catholics much better off here than Mexican-American or Mexican Catholics because of Jefferson, say? Well, I would say, yeah, look at the history. Yes, we are better off um, or we're better off because we're free. But, uh, you know, it's 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 like this this uh, the statement of the Second Vatican Council. Uh, John the 23rd was supposed to have said that we need to open up the windows. Yeah, unfortunately, when you open up the windows, you get fresh air and a lot of bugs. So we got, you know, Jefferson and others, you know, thought this, uh, perhaps, you know, put this in place for greater freedom, greater liberty. Clearly, Jefferson is a product of the Enlightenment. I don't think any friend of the Catholic faith. Um, But there were many Catholics who supported the American Revolution because they thought that it would put us in a better position than what they had seen in the last hundred years or so in Europe. Uh, The wars of religion and oppression by changing heads of state because it's only a confessional state while there's a Catholic king on the throne. And when he's no longer there or she's no longer there as queen, you know, what's next? So you go from um, uh, Henry VIII to uh, Mary Tudor, then back to Elizabeth, you know, and, and, and by the time we get to James II and a possible restoration of a Catholic monarchy, Parliament steps in and kicks him out and brings in William of Orange. So there's no guarantee that with a confessional state, it's going to stay a Catholic confessional state or even a Christian confessional state. And I think that's where the founders and Catholics who supported the founders saw their best hope was in, in that freedom so that we can live our Catholic faith and maybe evangelize our neighbors. Um, I, I do agree uh, uh, with Mike that the issue here, the biggest problem we face is uh, Catholic education. Um, and not just in our public schools, um, in our Catholic schools too. We face a real problem, um, an identity crisis. We fought so hard to be accepted as Catholic schools, um, even though our school system was here first. Uh, public schools didn't start until after the Catholic schools were already well in place. And why? To take the kids out of the Catholic schools. But then we fought so hard to make our schools just like their schools, And now what do we have? We have schools where the name Catholic maybe hangs somewhere in the building, where maybe there's a crucifix, where maybe there are Catholic teachers. And that's about it. And that's a shame. And that's part of what we need to take back if we are going to build this uh, Christendom, this reign of Christ here in America. 
Let me say something on that education issue. This brings me back to a point that I made earlier, that I don't think the problem is so much with Americanism, but it's with a modern, modern view of the state, which the American form of the Enlightenment, our 1789, was very different from the French 1789. In other words, our acceptance of certain Enlightenment values with, if you want to put it that way, about the rights of people to speak freely and to associate freely and to to publish freely. That was not, you know, Michael's putting it as if this was all directed against the Catholic Church, and no doubt there were anti-Catholics, but it wasn't anti-Catholic in the same way that it was in France or the other countries. I mean, our Enlightenment was the English and Scottish Enlightenment. It had its share of bums and atheists, certainly, but it was one that was open to religion's influence. And if you look at our founding documents, for instance, the Declaration of Independence, it's, it's building on an idea that's an old Christian and Western idea of natural law and natural rights. And a lot of the things that are in that, you know, they may have, you know, one of the great sayings is that, you know, our founders built better than they knew. Yeah, theoretically, it doesn't necessarily work, but, you know, it's worked a lot better than almost any other experiment in history has. So I will just add that. We have a, our first... Uh our first question asker, you can go ahead, sir, if you want to turn on your microphone. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, I think as Catholics and Americans, I'm willing to bet most of the people in this room, we believe in the right to vote and choose our leaders to make laws. We believe in the rights of free speech. We believe in freedom of religion. You know, this is what we learn and live as Americans. These are the freedoms that we cherish. Implicit in this is that truth and untruth have the same rights in politics and in law. And what I posit to you, gentlemen, is that is heretical. That truth and untruth have not the same rights. And that any political institution that gives them the same rights is headed to perdition. So it's not, it's a, I guess I just asked for comments at that point. Again, people have rights. If truth and error don't have rights... We're talking about this as an argument that we had, and why people were excited was now we could argue about the truth here in a place where it wasn't going to be forced on you by the so-called Catholic king who puts you in prison for heresy when it might be treason. You know, I, So I, I don't think that this is necessarily heretical to, to let people voice their opinion. Again, I think Catholics are confident that in a free, free, free environment, you know, a speaker's corner, you know, at Hyde Park or wherever else, the Internet, we can provide answers and we can provide, provide argument about what kind of government we would like to have and what, what the nature of that should be and what our society should, should look like. So I don't see any, any contradiction at all. That, that sort of individualism is precisely what defines Americanism, and it's what Leo XIII condemned, that we on our own somehow are going to figure this all out. I would go back to Bob's point that truth in America doesn't have any rights. Why? Because truth doesn't exist. There is no objective truth. Your truth is as good as mine. Mine is as good as yours. It's an age-old story. And I think that's something we've all bought into, that there really is no truth. Because if you say your truth is better than mine, we're not equal anymore. We the people are, we are divine in a sense, in that sense. So truth absolutely doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't exist in America. I would just add that um, if we're going to change that today, go right back to uh, what we said earlier. Catholic education needs to change. Um, we as men leading our families need to change, and we need to say just those words to our children. Truth exists. It's not just um, another opinion, uh, gay marriage, contraception, abortion. These aren't just opinions. 
These are evils. And until we say it's evil, it's not going to go away. Uh, it's the same with slavery in this country. Slavery was an evil. And until they said it was evil and labeled it evil and started to actually work against it actively, it didn't go away. Um, so, you know, it, to, to afford truth and untruth the same status, um, no, I think we are affording people the same status. And unfortunately, there are people who are who, who preach untruth. They preach lies. And they can do it from the pulpit or they can do it from, uh, you know, the, 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 what is that? The Oval Office. The Oval Office, thank you. Um, you know, just, just off the top of my head. Um, or, you know, they can do it from a street corner. So the, the, the problem is not, you know, letting people speak and giving them free time to speak, but teaching our own children and, and galvanizing ourselves against error. Um, I, I have to say, I, I went to Catholic schools for most of my grade school and high school career. It wasn't until I got to college where someone actually said, truth exists. But that's because I went to a Catholic college, a real Catholic college. So, anyway. We have another card here speaking about the public school system. Uh, I'll come back to this question since Edward's kind of dab, uh, putting his foot in those waters. We'll go to the next speaker over here. Uh, go ahead, sir. Um, I've got a comment first, and that's just, uh, or kind of a question posed to you. Um, had we framed this argument for or against gay marriage, or in, in a sense, voting yes for marriage as saying this would uphold the rights and beliefs of Muslims, would that message have been better received in our society than saying upholding the rights of Catholics? And I, so that's just one thing for everyone to think about is just the fact that our beliefs as, as Catholics have been persecuted in this country ever since the original founding of this country, largely because the people who came here had been persecuted for their own beliefs. This country was, became inhabited by people who were in the first generation of the Protestant movement. It was at a time of great upheaval within the Christian church. And that, those are the seeds that were sown into this country. And unfortunately, they have not, those weeds have not been uprooted and weeded out of this, out of the fabric of this nation. Yeah. And, and that's not a pessimistic statement because that we need to, we need to take those weeds out and we can and we will because God said in the end, Christ said in the end, he would triumph and he will. He'll be with us always. But to get back to your point, just briefly, this is the thing that so often is missed. We think these things happen by accident. When you mentioned about the Muslim, no, of course, it would have been a better language probably. From the beginning, this has been an attack against Christ's church. That's all it ever is. That's all it ever was. So they give these great gifts to us. I'm a journalist. I publish a newspaper. Freedom of the press. What would I do without it? Okay? But I have to acknowledge freedom of the press, which is why Leo Thirteenth was very concerned about freedom of the press, because it was a privilege and a, and a freedom that was granted solely for the purpose of undermining the Catholic Church, which is exactly what it did. Freedom of religion. Same thing. Such a beautiful thing. Who, want, who doesn't want freedom? But it was given because there was only one church that said there's only one church, and that was ours. And it undermined undermine the Catholic Church. For centuries, this has been going on. It's all about undermining Christ's church. We're in the middle of a grand war, the same war that starts off our history. And this is the war between Antichrist and Christ, between Satan and Jesus Christ, between God and the devil. That's all it is. It's very simple. And if we understood that, I think we'd make better soldiers of ourselves. And 
And I think it's largely a societal problem in that nowadays people who are baptized as Catholics rarely hear a priest give a homily, yet they regularly hear people like Letterman and the news media and, and MTV and all these other places that are speaking to them about non-truths, and they rarely are in church to hear a homily. We have a, a card here, then I'll come to an, another speaker if, if someone's in line. Uh, this card is more of a comment, but I think it does open uh, up for conversation. We seem to be jumping the gun with talk of taking back our own country. Should we not be starting with our own Holy Catholic Church? Now, how do we do that in light of the fact that more Catholics voted for Obama rather than against him? Well, again, not to beat that dead horse, but um, it goes back to uh, two fundamental things. As men, are we leading our families in the faith? Do you teach the truth in your house and essentially permit nothing else? Do you pray regularly as a family? As hard as that is, I've got six kids. And they are, you know, they're running all over the place while we're trying to pray the rosary. We still do it. And the hope is that as they get older, they will learn to pray the rosary as a family. So it's about practice and teaching. Do we live it and do we do it as Catholic men in our families? Do we do it with um, our coworkers? Do we lead them in a good example and teaching? It's not enough. I'm sorry. It's just not enough to say, you know, I'm a good Catholic at work and I kind of just keep it to myself. You have to teach your coworkers. You have to actively proclaim in an appropriate way the Catholic faith. And if you know Ed, he's not very appropriate. <laughs> That's just because I come from New Jersey, see, and I have 15 brothers and sisters. There's, there's no being appropriate there. Uh, so, you know, in that, and, and let me just share with you in my family, unfortunately, we did not live with the rosary. My parents were victim. I'm sorry. They followed Vatican II. So, um, no, 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 I'm just saying, I'm, you know, um, they, they, they thought that, you know, you know, they didn't No, we don't do that anymore. Do they do it now? Yeah. They've finally seen the writing on the wall and they, they live it, the rosary every night. Not when I was a kid, but now, now that everyone's grown, yeah, now they pray the rosary every night. So do we do that? That's how we take back our Catholic Church. And I'll just add one more thing, supporting priests who do that as well. We have good priests in the church. Do we support them? And young men who want to be priests. I'll ask you all tonight to pray for my son, Gabriel. He is uh, 12 years old. He wants to be a priest. He wants to go to a high school seminary down in Mankato. High school seminary. That's where he wants to go, and he's eager. He wants to go as soon as he can, not because he hates home. Uh, no, but pray for him, because that's what we need to do. It's prayer and, and teaching and, and witness. Let's, uh, let's go to the next. And then you can add your idea, David, to this next question. Do we have another question, sir? First of all, I want to make a comment. If uh, anyone has read the Constitution originally and the Bill of Rights, 
you will find that this country was and still is a Christian country. Okay. Uh, second of all, um, our country has checks and balances. Uh, I didn't want Obama elected, then maybe everyone in this room, but uh, he can't take down our government nor change our society. Uh, we have senators and representatives that can do that, but the president doesn't have as much powers that we give them, give him to. I, I appreciate your comments. Do you have a question for the panel, sir? Or, well, yes. My my question for the panel is: um, I see there's more positive things happening in the Catholic Church presently than the negative. And I would like to know what your opinion are regarding if this growth that's happening in the Catholic Church will prevent the war that some people claim we're reaching. Short-term answer is no. I think we're in for some rough times. But I do think that within our constitutional system, which he alluded to, we do have checks and balances, and we need to go back and right that ship. Now, maybe it's not possible. Maybe, maybe we're at a tipping point uh, where the checks and balances are being erased. But I don't see any, any difficulty with doing that. The point I was going to make about uh, is related to that is that aside from our own families, I alluded earlier to the fact that we do have canon law. And bishops have the ability to clean our house better than, better than they, they often do. Um, but, you know, as my friend Dr. John Boyle says, it's not that we have a priesthood shortage, we have a laity shortage. How many of us do pray for our bishops and send them letters of encouragement and stand up for them? Um, you know, write, write letters to the newspaper supporting them? Um, you know, again, prayer is, is primary, but, uh, but also acting on their behalf and defending them. I could just jump in on that because I agree with what you just said. Um, but there, there really is a movement of foot guys, and I, and I don't want to, I don't want to go on too long about this. But there's a huge resurgence of the traditional Latin Mass in the Catholic Church. Um, one of the things that the Americanist heresy did is it transformed our liturgy into something that was also absorbed by the Protestant sects in which we lived in this country. Our liturgy has become more and more Protestant-looking and appearing. It's not Protestant, but it's becoming that way. Cardinal Ratzinger said it's become a banal, on-the-spot product, and something has to be done about it. This great pope, John Paul II, did the same thing through his motu proprio Ecclesia Dei. He initiated a massive movement in the church. Benedict has carried it on beautifully. I was in Rome one week ago. Cardinal Lavera, who is the head of uh, the congregation for, the for, for liturgy and the sacraments, offered a mass in the heart of St. Peter's Basilica, traditional Latin mass, which came at the end of a huge procession through the streets of Rome, right up the Piazza of San Pedro, into the heart of the Basilica. And this is with the Pope's blessing and invitation. Thousands of Catholics came, and the Cardinal re re 
you know, put on display what Benedict is trying to get the whole world to recognize. Liturgically, we have to go back and seize our patrimony. It has been stolen from us. And living in St. Paul, we are walking in tall cotton. We've had St. Agnes, Monsignor Schuler, for years who's understood this. Now we have the great Father Eckerd, Father Grabner here at Trinity. We've got Father Peterson, priests all over. Father Brenna is here starting up over in Wisconsin. There's this huge resurgence of Catholic young families and Catholic men who recognize that restoring our identity as Catholic starts in church, starts in mass. The old maxim is lex credendi, lex orandi, lex credendi. How we pray is how we believe. And, and men are realizing we need to do what Benedict wants, go back and find out why they took that mass away, why it has disappeared, and do everything we can to restore it. And that's going to bring us a long way towards restoring our Catholic identity. Uh, well, I, I have two more cards here. Uh, basically, both are asking uh, the, the same type of question. How do we get this turned around? Uh, you know, and I think uh, each of you uh, are trying to give your own answer to that. Uh, um, I want to hear from one more, uh, one more question, I, maybe for the night then, I suppose. Okay. Um, to run a government, you have to base the government, you know, the decisions, the way it's going to be structured off of principles of some kind. Um, there's no such thing as a neutral philosophy. Uh, so what philosophy will we base our government on? Um, secularism, I think, is an enlightenment attempt at trying to do something that's neutral. We, of course, all know that that's not the case. Uh, it's not Christian. It's not, it's, it's not neutral. Um, you've indicated that you don't, you would not want to live under a Christian confessional state. Um, I'm assuming you would want the government run by Christian principles, of some kind. Um, so my question for you, is your problem more the, um, the use of force in using those principles? Because um, I, I think, of course, we would want our state to be a Christian state in practice. Yeah, I do have a problem with the use of force, but also just the fact that when a government then is run and there is privilege given to Christians, what you have is quite often not the rest of the people becoming Christian, but everybody sort of, as the, the historian Robert Marcus said about the Roman Empire when it adopted Christianity as its official imperial religion, you have an empire that lapses into Christianity. Now, I'm a convert to Catholicism, and I don't usually describe it as lapsing into Catholicism uh, because there was nothing in it for me. But in those sorts of states, what you often have is people who adopt, uh, adopt a view that they are Christian, uh, for the sake of advancement or for the sake of getting along. And I guess that's related to the use of force. So I think in practice, it quite often doesn't work out the way that we want it. And I'd rather be persecuted. For for the sake of our time, uh, we're out of time this evening. I, I really do welcome you to speak with our speakers here. They'll hang around for five or ten minutes, I suspect, uh, to entertain questions or ideas or exchange contact information. We have two speakers. I wish I could have had you uh, ask your question in public, but please uh, offer them in private. Uh, to end, I, I think it's unanimous. Uh, the Americanist heresy is uh, is very much alive and well. It's not a phantom. It's it's certainly concretized, maybe never more so than the 2012 elections. So keep your eyes open, gentlemen, and pray hard. We've got uh, we've got some rough sledding coming down the pike for us. There's no question about it. I, I, I think that you take a look at what's happening in uh, other countries with the same-sex marriage thing, and uh, just what's happening in our own country. We don't have to go into detail. 
But I really think that it's going to be a while uh, before we're going to get things turned around. But there's Isaiah 7, 9 comes to mind. If you are not, if your faith is not strong, you will not be strong. We need to, I, I think the answer, I, I heard a lot of this uh, talk about the, uh, from the ground up uh, coming this evening, and, and I really resonated with that. I think that each and every one of us, the very first thing we have to do is work on our personal holiness. Daily prayer, frequency recourse to the sacraments, including getting a confession at least once a month, struggle to lead the virtuous life and devotion to Our Lady. If we're really pursuing all those things, it's going to enable us to do two things. Number one, it's going to enable us to be able to endure what we're going to have to endure. I mean, it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be, it's not going to be pretty. Number two, however, and I think more importantly, is that it's going to help us to be able to, from the ground up, be able to be that light. Matthew 5, 16, uh, let your light shine so brightly before men that they may see your good works and give glory to God. And that is what I think we're all called to do as the baptized. But in order to be able to do that, in order to be able to be that light, we have to be on fire. We have to be on fire with the faith and without personal holiness it's not going to happen. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And thou, Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. The Lord be with you. Through the powerful intercession of Our Lady of Victory, may the blessing of Almighty God descend upon you and remain with you forever. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life.